This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good morning, I'm Sharad Kutin. With me, Tan Chung Han and Joyce Ko. Controversial Indian Muslim televangelist preacher Zakir Naik was in the headlines last week over reports uh, in the Indian media that he might be extradited back there from Malaysia where he resides. Malaysian authorities denied such reports. The Prime Minister turned Dr. Mahathir clarifying that the government, uh, that his government would not deport Zakir Naik as he's a permanent resident. He also said that uh, as long as Zakir Naik did not cause trouble here, there would be no reason to um, send him back home. Now, to help us understand what's going on, we have on the line Ida Arushawe, uh, who's a senior analyst at the S. Rajaratnam School of International Studies. She's an expert in religion and political thought. So, mu- Thank you so much for joining us uh, this morning. Ida, I want to begin with what you understand about Zakir Naik, the man, because um, there's a lot of talk about how he's influenced militants, but uh, there's also this fact that Interpol has not uh, granted India that red corner notice, um, suggesting that he's not as dangerous as India says he is. Hi, thank you very much for having me. Yes, that is correct, and I think um, that really... Um, frames best the, the discussion that ever since 9/11 we've been having a lot about a lot of preachers around the world. Um, there is a lot a, a lot of vitriolic remarks made by these preachers. There's a lot of exclusivist remarks made by these preachers, but that does not necessarily mean uh, condoning violence or does not necessarily make them correlate with violent activities or them condoning violent activities per se. And I think this is something very important to be noticed. Um, and it's not unique to, to Zakir Naik as well. Can I just uh, follow up with the fact that I understand Bangladesh has banned him uh, because they, they believe that one of the uh, perpetrators of the Holy Artisan Bakery massacre was inspired by his videos. Um, what do you understand about the Bangladesh response to Zakir Naik? The Bangladesh government, uh, per se. Well, there's, first of all, Two things to qualify. Um, one is that the uh, Bangladesh government is uh, in very good relations with the Indian government, sometimes uh, even assumed to be in a subordinate relation to the Indian government. And the second is that um, something that Zakir Naik said per se, that 90% of the people in Bangladesh follow him. And so if somebody is found to have been a follower of him, does not necessarily say that he um, contributed to that person for following violent activities or pursuing violent activities. And while I do believe that Zakir Naik does uh, condone um, certain kinds of behaviors and uh, does express exclusivist uh, sentiments towards other religions and other ethnicities, um, I also think it is very important to keep in mind these political considerants and the domestic considerants of each of these countries. And so in this case, given that Bangladesh is so close to India. Bangladesh might might be acting on behalf of India as well um, in this uh, important case. Aida, you've spoken about the Indian government, the Bangladeshi government. What about the Malaysian government then? Give us your assessment of how the, uh, not just the current administration, but also the previous administration uh, has handled this uh, Zaki Naik saga so far. Well, I think it's. Uh, I think what what is happening in Malaysia is a a consistent trend um, ever since perhaps the 80s or so. Uh, we we know very well that Malaysia has a reputation of hosting 
um, what what other countries consider to be very dangerous uh, individuals or very um, exclusivist individuals or individuals who have conducted violence. For one very good example is uh, Abdullah Sunkar and uh, Abu Bakr Bashir, who were the leaders and the founders of Jama'a Islamia, and they were hosted uh, by the Malaysian government. I mean, um, so so it goes. Uh, somewhere in the 1980s. And the, the main argument was that as long as they do not conduct violent activities, they are allowed to stay here. Of course, this is um, very much a um, political strategy of appeasing the Malay electorate. Um, it's a political strategy to show that they are very close to Islam. And it is a, a strategy that remains very much in place even with the current government nowadays, perhaps even more so because the Pakatan Harapan has come under severe uh, allegations that they are trying to disempower the Mumiputra, or that they're trying to forget that Islam plays a primary role. And it's something that has been consistently re-emphasized about uh, Prime Minister Mahathir. And this, I believe, comes to play a very important role in this um, national setting. Ida, so what does this say about the government's uh, commitment to combat extremism? Well, I think I think that remains there, and I think Malaysia actually is one of the countries that best um, um, combats uh, terrorism per se. I mean, the law enforcement in Malaysia is something that many Western countries even would like to have. Um, so I believe these efforts remain there, and I believe there's a very genuine commitment. It's just that consistently, again, Malaysia has shown that it's very much concerned with what's happening on the national ground. That is, terrorists that are aiming their acts um, at national target, at Malaysian target, and it have it has um, it has tackled with these individuals and these actors with an iron fist. Yet beyond that, I think they are fitting their national agenda in and wherever they can. So, how does the current administration find a balance between, you know, like you mentioned earlier, catering to domestic interests given the Bumi Putra agenda versus uh, its foreign policy? You know, its uh, in particular its relations with India, because we recall that India's Prime Minister Narendra Modi was one of the first international leaders to meet with Tun Dr Mahathir after GE 14th, the May 9th general elections. Well, I think we must not forget the big elephant in the room, or if I may say the big dragon in the room, which is China. So I think even if these, um, um, even there are episodes, such as the Zakir Naik episode, which, by the way, I believe it's, it's put up uh, in the spotlight in India precisely because of the upcoming election. So that's another national strategy. Uh, but I think beyond these considerations, which both countries, I'm sure, are aware of, I think they're also aware of the fact that their largest considerations at a regional level to be considered, and their economic and their security-wise, as, as China has been uh, perceived by both countries as taking over the seas and the maritime security. And so I believe that there, there are larger aspects that both countries um, find very useful for them to still remain close to each other and contribute and uh, collaborate. Uh, there's also this interesting fact. We have uh, President Rodrigo Duterte coming next week. It's an unofficial visit, but apparently he is going to be meeting with uh, Dr. Mahathir, and they are going to be talking about terrorism. I, the Coming after the Marawi City debacle there in uh, the Philippines, and the fact that many Malaysians, though mostly Indonesians, were involved as foreign combatants, Malaysia's ability to uh, recruit uh, terrorists uh, to these violent, uh, you know, projects uh, overseas. Is that something that um, experts worry about? Um, well, it's, 
it's more about Malaysians being recruited and being there. I mean, we know that two of the two important leaders uh, in the Marawi siege and and in the well ISIS uh, vilayat in uh, Philippines were Malaysians and were very educated, very well off Malaysians. So that is some definitely something that is to be worried about. But even in line with this, as I mentioned earlier, I feel the Malaysian government has been really um, spot on when it comes to, to this issue and has conducted uh, numerous arrests, both of Malaysian individuals as well as Indonesians, uh, on the, um, the Malaysian ground who, have, who seem to have been involved in this uh, network around the uh, Philippines and the Marawi siege. Ida, very shortly you said earlier that Zakir Knight does condone certain behaviours. Do you think he's really a threat here? It's very hard to say, really. It's very hard to say, especially given that um, there is a sentiment of uh, condoning exclusive uh, sentiments within the Malaysian uh, the, the Malaysian national setting. There are many preachers who have encouraged who have encouraged Zakir to speak, and who mentioned several times that he does not uh, condone terrorism. Um, I think it's it's important to distinguish between uh, political talk and between civil talk. And I think it is important to keep in mind that all politics is exclusivist by default by virtue of their categories and make sure not to, to conflate um, um, what they might be saying vis-a-vis their religion and how they might be using it in the political setting. I don't think he's a threat per se in Malaysia, um, but definitely exclusivist remarks are to be, to be feared of, uh, I think, in any environment, Malaysian or, or any other country. Uh, thank you so much, Ida. That was Ida Aroshoe. Uh, she's a senior analyst with the S. Roger Adams School of International Studies. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, the business station.